I'm delighted to introduce to us our guest preacher tonight, Chris Mobbs. He's a missionary with Four Corners. Uh, the president, executive director, I'm not sure what uh, Yancey's title is, but uh, he's the head Four Corner guy is with us tonight. It is a ministry in Uganda in East Africa. Several of our pastors have had the privilege to go and teach there. It is an amazing work of God at many levels, gospel teaching, church building, evangelization, helping the people there to better themselves holistically. Uh, and uh, we, are, we have a long-term commitment to, to take our pastors out there and teach. And uh, some of the pastor's wives have been as well. So Chris Mobbs and his family, his wife Julie and their five children, uh, Chase and Zoe and Cooper and Jethro and Matthew are headed back to Uganda Thursday, maybe? Anyway, before next Lord's Day. So I wanted us to hear from Chris. He was a pastor before the Lord called him uh, to the mission field. Thank you all very much for the invitation to be here tonight to do both of those things. So, Pastor Al, next time I expect you to both sing, play, and preach. Yep. Next time you're up here. Now, uh, five months we've been back here stateside, uh, traveling around to different churches and telling our story, raising awareness for our ministry. And I just got to tell you, there is no place like home. And so it is an immense pleasure to be standing here behind uh, this pulpit, which I know such, so many great men of the faith have, have stood right here, and we have a great man of the faith who stands here faithfully every single week, and so this I do not take lightly. Uh, this is a big deal for me, so thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, my name is Christopher Mobbs. My family, we did the introduction a little bit earlier, but uh, Chase and Cooper are 15 and 14, and then Zoe is in the middle. She's my princess. She's 10, and she owns me. And then I have our two newest additions, Matthew and Jethro. Jethro's like, don't forget me, don't forget me, uh, who are four and five years old. But Jethro assures me that he's almost five. And every day he's getting bigger and bigger. Um, but the one who holds it all together, uh, none of us is possible without my wife, who is the really the cornerstone of our family, and without her we would all be lost. Um, I currently serve as the Director of African Operations for Four Corners Ministries, which is just a fancy title, which means I get to make disciples at the ends of the earth. I get to lead leaders. I get to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Um, quick story about me. You, you may uh, have noticed if it was printed. I think it was printed on the... Um, uh, the newsletter this week. My name starts with a K. It's Christopher with a K, Chris with a K, which um, the reason is is because my, my mom's name is K, and she's here tonight. My mom and dad are here, and my, my uh, in-laws are here as well, Charles and Mary Jane Deweese. My mom's name is K, so she started all three of her kids with the name starting with a K, Kevin, Christopher, and Corey. Um, we grew up in suburban Atlanta, and we, and we were at church every time the doors were open. We were big into Jesus, not so much big into pets, however. 
And so my mom wouldn't let us get a dog because we're in suburban Atlanta. We would beg her all the time. And she's like, no, 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 no. So when I was young, she decided she would get us a pet, maybe to keep us quiet. So she took us to PetSmart and we got goldfish, which apparently she considered a pet. And we brought them home. We got three goldfish and we could distinguish them by the stripes on their side. And so we named them. Being super creative kids at the time, we named them Kevin, Christopher, and Corey. And so we were super excited. We were thinking, maybe this is like the testing ground. If we can take care of these fish, then maybe mom will let us get a dog or, or something else. Uh, so I remember uh, going to bed after that, that first evening and uh, beforehand, you know, just sprinkling the food up top and watching them feed for a while and watching them swim around the bowl. But the next morning, Saturday morning, I was the early riser in the family. You parents probably have one of those in your family. That was me. I was the first one awake because I loved Saturday morning cartoons. But on this particular Saturday, I, would, I wasn't concerned about the cartoons. I was concerned about Kevin, Christopher, and Corey, the fish. So I ran to the fish bowl, and I noticed immediately that something was wrong. Because one of the fish had flipped on its side and sunk to the bottom. Being about five or six years old at the time, I was at least smart enough to realize that this meant that the fish was dead. And so I looked at the markings on the side of the fish, and I recognized it was Kevin. Kevin the fish was dead. And I was completely heartbroken. Tears streaming down my face because this was tragic to a young child. I run up the stairs, weeping, bust into my mom's room, my mom and dad's room, jump on their bed, and I scream I, I, in sorrow, Mom, Kevin's dead. Well, let me just say that was not the way to wake up your parents on a Saturday morning. My mom jumps up out of bed. She runs into Kevin, my older brother's room, begins to shake him. Kevin, wake up. Kevin, wake up. I said, no, mom, mom, Kevin, the fish. Oh, that we might all feel as deeply for the global unreached souls that will pass today as I felt for Kevin the fish. It weighs heavy on us as an organization. The reality that over 40, that missiologists tell us that over 40,000 people will die today without ever hearing the gospel. So today, as we went about our day, 40,000 perished from this earth without ever hearing the truth about Jesus. And I asked Pastor Al what he'd like for me to preach on. He said, I really want you to share some about your organization. So, so here's, here's the bit about our organization. This is what we live for. We live to communicate and demonstrate the gospel to unreached and under-equipped people groups. Four Corners Ministries is dedicated of making to, to, toward the ends of making disciples at the ends of the earth. We live amongst a war-torn, severely impoverished people group, the Acholi people. As a ministry, we have been blessed by God um, to the point now where we, now we employ about 140 Ugandans in over a dozen different ministry areas. Here's just a few. We have a school that provides quality, Christ-centered education for primary students. We have a child development program which provides means to an education, to discipleship for the most vulnerable kids in our impoverished community. We have a women's refuge center, which houses and employs 
and disciples abandon women because in, amongst our tribe, amongst most tribes in Africa, women are seen as property and they're often abandoned. We bring them up, we raise them up for three years and to the point where they're self-sustaining. We have a Life Beats program that employs about 40 other uh, women and they make handcrafted jewelry that we sell to anyone who's willing to buy it, to employ them, to give them opportunities to put their kids in school and put food on the table. We have a pastor training center which trains pastors to plant Christ-centered, Bible-saturated, African-led churches. You guys are a huge part of that because you guys help sponsor as a, as a church some of those pastors to be educated. We have a radio program which weekly broadcasts across northern Uganda and into South Sudan. We have two direct church plants, but we are uh, currently equipping many, many more. So for more information about Four Corners Ministries, please feel free to go to fourcorners.org. We'd love to uh, answer any of your questions and see you come visit us. Uh, as Al said, over five pastors and some of their wives have already come out to see us and we've been blessed by their, their trips out. So tonight I want to share a bit more about our story uh, as a family. But I know as a faith family, we've gathered here not primarily to hear my story. And not primarily to hear your story, but to hear God's story. Because our stories only exist and are only as important in so much as they draw our eyes, our hearts, and our minds unto the great redemptive story of Jesus Christ. And a God who in his holy perfect creation created a redemption plan for those of us who are broken, which is all of us. So let's do that. Let's turn our attention to his word in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, tonight's message I've entitled Encouragement for the Wearied Messenger. Encouragement for the Wearied Messenger. A little bit of context might help us since we're jumping right here in the middle of the book. Paul is writing to Timothy, his younger protege. In the first letter to Timothy, he tells Timothy, he calls Timothy, my true son in the faith. And here in the verses we're going to read tonight, we're going to see him call, refer to Timothy as my child. Timothy was incredibly close to Paul, became a missionary traveling companion to Paul, and ultimately became a representative of Paul to the church plants that he was a part of. Scholars believe that 2 Timothy was written right toward the end of Paul's life. Imprisoned in Rome shortly before he was beheaded by Emperor Nero. He was wearied. Timothy was wearied. So what we see tonight is advice from a spiritual father to his spiritual son. 2 Timothy 2, we'll read 1 to 13 and then we'll pray together. It begins, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 
Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We ask now that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive it as you will for us too. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to journey through this text together again to see some encouragement from a spiritual father to a spiritual son, encouragement for the wearied messenger. And the first thing that jumps off the page at me, point number one, is this. We are called to trust the gospel as our source of strength. Trust the gospel as your source of strength. Verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So it instructs us here to be strengthened by the grace of God as in the gospel through Jesus Christ when strength is needed. Remember him. I think what's just as important to note here is what he's not saying as what he is saying. Paul is not telling Timothy to remember how great he is. He's not saying, Timothy, remember, you're a really good guy. He's not saying, Timothy, when things get hard, lean on your own beauty and your own worth. He's not saying, pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps or look yourself in the mirror and remember how awesome and amazing and wonderful you are. Because if we're honest, so many different churches gathered today, and that's the message that they heard that we're good enough, smart enough, clean enough, holy enough, great enough for good things to happen. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, be strengthened by remembering the grace of Jesus Christ. And let me assure you, there will be days when the only thing that will keep you moving forward, the only thing that can possibly motivate you to pull the covers back in the morning, to put your two feet on the floor, to face another day, is the strength that's found in the grace of Jesus Christ. Many of you know that during this last season of service, we experienced more than our fair share of difficulties. There have been days where, there were days when I was tempted to stay in bed. I was tempted not to pull the cover back. I was tempted some days to throw in the towel. I needed strength like never before in my life. And the only thing that motivated me to push me forward, that motivates us as a family to keep us moving toward the goal is the grace of Jesus Christ. I grew up in a traditional Southern Baptist church that had missionaries come through on a semi-regular basis. and The memories that I have were of really nice-looking, smiling, happy missionaries who would come through, sometimes dressed in the local attire, you know, some African shirt. I didn't do that for you guys tonight. and then he would come with a slideshow. He didn't have high-definition photographs back then, so they were grainy. But when I, when I remember seeing them, I remember seeing beautiful people, beautiful scenery, and hearing these reports about how God was doing these amazing things. So somehow, as a young child, I walked away thinking, man, missionary life must be amazing. If social media exists back then, I had this picture of people putting up photos, beautiful people, beautiful places, hashtag blessed. But if I'm honest, there have been some days when it was anything but hashtag blessed for us. This has not always been the case for us. Don't misunderstand me. The vast majority of our days are amazingly blessed. We get to work on the front lines of seeing unreached people groups engaged with the gospel, many of them for the very first time. 
We get to share Jesus with people who have no access to a Bible-believing church. We get to daily disciple men and women who live in abject poverty and who have been tragically affected by war, and we see the effects of the gospel on their lives. And let me just say, it's amazing, but there are many days that are hard. There have been days where hashtag blessed would have been a complete lie. It would have been more accurately hashtag bruised and beaten. Last time I was here, I shared with you guys that in our first stint on the mission field, one of our missionary partners passed away. Tragic accident, got malaria. Long story led to his passing. We went back in 2018 thinking, okay, well, the hard stuff is behind us. Then August of 2019, I dropped off some visitors at the airport in Entebbe. And I was making the six and a half hour drive back to Gulu in our home in the bush. And about halfway, a beautiful five-year-old girl ran out in front of my car. So I slammed on my brakes and I violently pulled the wheel as hard as I could, flipped a couple times and hit inside a roadside ditch hard. I suffered a minor concussion, but she lost her life. I was unable to miss her. After shaking the cobwebs off, I crawled out of my broken windshield, and I remember two men grabbing me under the arm and pulling me out of the ditch. And a woman named Gloria, I've never seen her since, but on this day she happened to be there. She told me, she said, we've got to get you in my van, because they will come with their spears and their machetes, and they will kill you. You see, in Uganda, they have animistic beliefs in animism, tribes believe that it's the spirit world that animates the world around us. And so if our crops need to grow, they will pray to their ancestral spirits in hopes that the ancestral spirits will create a breakthrough for the crops to grow. But when a tragic accident like this happens, they believe that the spirit of the deceased will curse the land, curse the area, curse the tribe. And the quickest way to get rid of that curse is to take the life of the person who's involved in the tragedy. That was me. Put me in the car, they drove me 15 minutes to a local ministry hospital, and for 24 hours, I stayed there under armed guard while negotiations began. My Acholi friends came down from Gulu, and my missionary friends came down and began to negotiate. We eventually reached the settlement with the tribe, money for my life. But here's the reality there is no amount of money that will bring that precious girl back. So being a part of a tragedy like this brings about an emotional toll that I would never wish on my worst enemy. Of course, you think of everything, the what ifs. What if I just would have stopped for coffee? What if I would have done this or that differently? The temptation to pull the covers back up over my head every morning was incredibly strong. And yet it was, and it remains the truth conveyed in this very first verse that compels our family to move forward. It's the truth that resides in this verse that compels us to get on a plane again on Thursday and fly back to serve the people that we love. The truth is, left to my own strength, I wouldn't be going. Left to my own greatness, which there is none, I'd be stuck, paralyzed. 
but being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus enables us as followers to press on. As, Christ, as Paul says in one of his other epistles, as if we're running a race, running in such a way as to win. Because I, I trust that God is sovereign. And I know that he was not surprised. I know that he has not left me alone. And though I may never understand this side of eternity, why I had to endure that, why that precious girl is no longer here, I trust his ability to make all things right again. I trust when his word says that he goes and prepares a place for us and that that place is a place without death, without tragedy, without tears, and without pain. It's Christ alone that prevents us from crumbling under the weight of tragedy. It's his grace that's displayed on the cross that reminds us that he allowed his own son to suffer in our place, dying the death that we deserve and giving us ultimately the eternal life that only he deserves. If he allowed his own son to suffer in such a way, what makes me think that he's somehow surprised by my suffering? No, I believe he's sovereign over it. I believe he's sovereign over all of my steps. I believe he's sovereign over the steps of a precious five-year-old girl. So Paul's encouragement to Timothy is to trust the gospel as your source of strength because there will be days when that's the only source of strength that we have. But number two, he turns the corner and he tells us not just to trust the gospel, but to entrust the gospel to others. Entrust the gospel to others. He says in, in one, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Then verse two, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. As followers of Jesus Christ, our primary task is entrusting the gospel to others. Biblical scholars rightfully believe that this is in reference to pastors and elders. Pastors training up younger pastors and on and on and on. And this is certainly true, but I think if we only focus on that reality, we miss the application for all of us as followers of Jesus. That Every one of us are called to entrust the gospel to the next generation, to faithful men and women who are able to, able to then go entrust it to other faithful men and women. And I love this word entrust because the word entrust implies the inherent worth of that, that in that in which you are entrusting. I give worthless things away, but I entrust valuable things. When I'm thinking about who can take care of my kids, I don't walk up to some stranger on the street and say, hey, can you watch my kids for the next couple of days? I mean, I may be tempted to do that, but I don't do that. Why? Because they're precious. And I must know the person that I'm entrusting the care of my kids to. And so the word here is weighty when it tells us we are to entrust the gospel to others. Because this is a precious gift. And what it means is we must be intentional about who we are entrusting it to. We must be intentional about making disciples, investing our lives into people who can then invest their lives into people. This is what, again, we're doing through our uh, Four Corners Pastor Training Center. We have 44 young pastors or aspiring pastors from nine different African tribes for three years, we'll train them to preach God's word with clarity and conviction. We'll teach them what it looks like to plant and lead healthy churches, to fight against the false gospels. And again, you guys are 
helping us accomplish that. But entrusting, while it certainly happens at the ends of the earth, it cannot happen at the ends of the earth until it begins at home. Mom and dad, as parents, we are called to equip our children to proclaim the gospel. It's our primary job as parents to entrust them with the truth of God's word. Now, you, we have some amazing Bible teachers here. I could go on and on listing off all of the pastors here that I've learned so much from, but in reality, our kids only get face-to-face with these pastors one, two hours a week. Mom and dad, it's our primary responsibility. It's ours. It's our job to entrust to them the gospel. How are we doing with that? If they see us living for the things of the world, then it doesn't matter how, how well our pastors teach because they're going to model our behavior as their parents. So then our goal then as parents is not merely to prepare our kids for college, not merely to prepare them to be productive members of American society, not merely to prepare them to get married and have 2.5 kids in a nice home. Our mission is to prepare our own kids to live on mission for Christ. And we do that by being on mission ourselves. This doesn't mean that we all move to Africa. That's not what any of us are saying. It means we're to be living our lives in such a way that others see that we are desperate for Jesus and that we are desperate for others around us to know him. So we're to trust the gospel as our source of strength. We're to entrust the gospel to others. And then the third thing that jumps off the page to me is that we're to expect hardships along the way. As messengers, we're to expect hardships along the way. Verse 3 just says it real quickly. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul is urging his son in the faith to suffer hardships like a good soldier for the sake of the gospel. He doesn't tell Timothy that following Jesus will bring him health and wealth and prosperity. No, he says it's going to bring you suffering. We're going to be called to share in the sufferings of Christ. I was listening to another pastor commenting on these verses as I studied for this message. And he said this, he said, Mom and Dad, if you love your children, you will not seek to protect them from the call, but instead you will rejoice when they were granted, when they were granted the privilege of suffering for the cause of Christ. It's really completely opposite of the American dream. When it comes to gospel service, as parents... We are called to prepare, not protect. We're called to prepare, not protect our kids. When we come back to the States as missionaries, we inevitably run into many people who all mean well and say all sorts of different things, but one of the most common things that we agree that we've heard a lot is people telling us, man, I'm really glad that you're doing that so that my son or daughter doesn't have to. And I, I mean, I get it. I understand where they're coming from, and I want to give them grace when they say things like that. But here's what we're really saying. What we're really saying when we say, I'm glad you're doing it so that my, mom, so that my son or daughter doesn't have to, what we're saying is, it's okay to go to church. It's okay to be moral. It's okay to be good people. But let's not go overboard with this Christianity thing. Let's believe, but let's not totally surrender. We don't have to give him everything, do we? Yes, we do. My parents are here tonight, as I told you. 
my mother-in-law, father-in-law are here tonight, and I'm not going to lie to you every time. Every time we depart for another two years, stings a little bit more. It's a little bit harder. We're all getting older. Grandparents are watching their grandkids grow up 7,000 miles away. And there's no way to sugarcoat the difficulties of missing time with family. But we know that the task at hand is well worth the sacrifice. We trust that when the road gets tough, His grace is enough. When the road gets rougher than we can handle, His grace is never overcome. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes things take longer than we anticipate them taking. I introduced you to Matthew and and Jethro, our, our two new sons. Just, I think last week, they became American citizens, which we're super excited about. We started the adoption journey in 2014. It took us six and a half years to adopt them. We began the adoption journey before they were even born. If you would have told me at the beginning of that journey how some of the things that we would have faced would have been so difficult, I I would not have had the strength to agree to go through it. But by the grace of God, he gave us the strength in the times that we needed the strength to press through corrupt courts, to press through uh, worthless lawyers, to press through corrupt judges, to finally see them being granted as mobs, a part of the mobs mob, and now to see them as American citizens. His grace is enough. As followers of Jesus, God never calls us to personal safety or financial security. He calls us simply to obey Him and to suffer, as this text says, as good soldiers. So we're to trust the gospel as our source of strength. Entrust the gospel to others. Three, expect hardships along the way. And then number four, He calls us to remain focused on the task. Look at verse 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He's saying, listen, Timothy, stay focused on the task at hand. Man, if I'm honest, far too often I, I become swept away by civilian pursuits. Desires of this world. I don't know what it looks like for you. Maybe it's the pursuit of the next promotion, the pursuit of the nicer home, the bass boat, whatever. These things are fine. They're they're good things. But when they become primary things, they own our heart. Our primary focus must be the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, not these things. Paul often uses this illustration of soldiers, athletes, and farmers together. In verse 5, he says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. 6 says, It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And then he says, 7 says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you strength, will give you understanding in everything. I was reading William Barclay's commentary on 2 Peter, and he mentions the fact that the word here used for athlete specifically refers to a full-time athlete because there's a different word used for a part-time athlete. So here's what he's saying. A part-time athlete will never win the race. A part-time farmer cannot make a living, and a part-time soldier will not leave us protected. Here's what this tells us. There is no such thing as a part-time Christian. There's no such thing as a part-time Christian. Is Sunday morning the only time our families hear or think about the gospel? 
nominal Christianity. Nominal means in name only. It is not biblical Christianity. And it's been a huge problem in America, if we're honest, for many years. And because it's been a problem here in America, it's been a problem on the mission field. We have shipped out thousands of missionaries who have not been adequately trained, who do not know and understand the gospel, who get distracted by civilian pursuits. Many of them good things. They're digging wells. They're creating economic activity. They're building schools. All of those things we do too as an organization. But oftentimes, we've even had missionaries tell us, we don't really proselytize. And it's heartbreaking. Because the gospel is a gospel of words. We cannot just simply be nice people and hope that they somehow pick up the gospel by osmosis. That is not how the biblical gospel works. Oftentimes we allow good things to get in the way of the best thing. The best thing being the proclamation of his word. He reminds us again of the gospel in verse 8. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Paul is always driving our attention back to the gospel. That Jesus, the offspring of David as promised in the Old Testament, lived the life that we could not live, died the death that we deserve to die, rose again on the third day, proving that he was king over creation, king over life, over death. He is a risen Savior. If we truly believe that he walked out of the grave, then there is nothing more important for us to set our minds, hearts, and visions toward. We must reckon with a risen Savior. He's alive. And because He's alive, He must be everything, our everything. Nine, for which I am suffering, this gospel, bound with chains as a criminal. And I love the next part. But the Word of God is not bound. So again, recapping the points. We're going to trust the gospel as our source of strength. Entrust the gospel to others. Expecting hardships along the way. Remaining focused on the task, and then five, because we trust the Word to do the work. We trust the Word to do the work. Paul says, you can put me in chains, but you cannot bind up God's Word. You can put me in chains, you can put me in a roadside ditch, you can take my life, but it's not my life that saves anyone. It's the Word of the sovereign God. My life changed dramatically when I matured enough to understand that the Holy Spirit through the Word is what draws people unto God. It's not my magical ability to argue people into Jesus. I don't have to know all the answers. I just have to know that Jesus is the answer. I don't have to be able to apologetically argue every single fine detail of theology. I just have to point people's hearts and minds to Jesus. And even when we walk away from conversations and we feel like, oh my goodness, that did not go well. It's the Word that's doing the work. It's the Word that is working. Even when we feel helpless, God's Word is at work. So he says in 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We endure because when we feel defeated, He is not. He's not. So we continue to proclaim, and he continues to draw. We proclaim, and he convicts. We proclaim, but it's him that saves. 
And when you come to the conclusion that it is God who saves and not us, it will revolutionize, free us up to share the gospel as much as we possibly can. Praise God, he's ordained to save the world through us, so we need to continue to open our mouths. He's he's ordained to save the world through the gospel, going through the lips of his followers. It's my job to tell, to proclaim, to pronounce. It's his duty to save. And what a privilege it is to be but a tool in the hands of God for his word to go forth. But the reality is, Africa doesn't need me. Uganda doesn't need me. Uganda needs Jesus. So let's just bring him Jesus. Let's land this plane. 11. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So by way of recap, we're going to trust the gospel as our source of strength. Entrust the gospel to others. Expecting hardship along the way. We remain focused on the task. Trusting the word to do the work. And then we're going to rest on the promises of our faithful father. Listen to what it says. It says, we've died to ourselves. We will live with him. That's the promise. If we endure, the promise is we will eventually reign with him. But if we, well, when, when we don't deny him, he remains faithful. And his promises of peace and joy and eternal life will be ours because he is our faithful follower. If we, we are in him, he will grant us those promises because he remains faithful. He says he, he says he cannot deny himself. All of the promises in God's word will ring true in our lives because he is the rock of our salvation. He is not moved. When the world is tumbling down around us, he is the sure foundation, impervious to the winds. He is our anchor in the raging storms of life. And I don't know what kind of hardships all of us carried in on our shoulders tonight. I know this pandemic has made a mess of society. People are sick. Some of you have lost your jobs, lost loved ones. It's hard. But praise be to God, if we endure, we'll reign with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. He is our hope in a broken world. He is our hope in the middle of political upheaval. He's the hope of the world here in Auburn, Alabama. He's the hope of the world in Gulu, Uganda. He is the only hope for every nation, for every tribe, for every people group. So we must spend our life entrusting that hope to the world. Let us rest on the promises of the faithful Father, no matter how weary we become. In closing, let me just recite to you the song that Chase my son, 15-year-old, just sang to us. Just a couple stanzas. It says this, Christ, the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm, when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn, in the suffering and the sorrows, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. Christ, the shore of our salvation, ever faithful, ever true, we will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. This is our God. This is our King. Immovable, unchangeable, forever faithful. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you.
We thank you for the promises of your word. We thank you that you are a faithful follower, that your promises will come true in our lives as we entrust the gospel to others. We trust you, we love you, and we thank you for being our source of strength. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.